Well, good morning. Hey, I think this morning already deserves a shoot that thing. Come on now. Come on. Was God good or what? We, it's kind of like this. We could go home right now and be full. You know, you know what I mean? It's kind of like when you go to one of them fancy parties, they got them hors d'oeuvre things. And you hors d'oeuvre it until there ain't no room for dinner. Well, we done hors d'oeuvred it, buddy. We have worshiped and God certainly is good. I was working and I really, I was, I was worshiping and having a good time. But while I was worshiping, this duck over here winked at me. That's kind of weird, I know. But, you know, we're in this series called Luck Commander. And it's a takeoff of Duck Commander and how that Phil Robertson was told that he commands the ducks. And we took that and changed it to luck. And the fact that we don't believe in luck, that we believe God is sovereign and everything. Well, anyway, this little duck over here, while I was sitting there worshiping, winked at me. He's gained a little weight. Um, he has. Yeah, he did. This is Mel. Have y'all ever met Mel before? Mel the Mallard? Y'all met him before? Yeah. Well, here's, here's what he told me. He said, he's kind of shy. He doesn't talk. He said, I want to summarize the entire series. He said, what it took you five weeks to say, I want to say in just a few words. And I said, well, Mel, what would that be? He said, luck ain't all it's quacked up to be. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Only at Dorsville, folks. Only at Dorsville. But you know, isn't that the truth? Is luck really what's all quacked up to be? It's not. It's not. You know, there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as circumstances or chance. We believe that there's a God, and He is sovereign. He really is. The movie, as the video said, He really is in control. And through the weeks, we we look back at Psalm 37, 23, and 24, the steps of a good man. I hope you're starting to memorize this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God, He delights in our way. And if we fall, and we do fall, don't we? If we fall, we will not be utterly cast down because He upholds us with His strong hand. I love those two verses. And it's just powerful and speaks about how God directs our path. That you're not here arbitrarily. You're not here by chance or circumstance. That the things that happen in your life are allowed or even caused by God. And He allows these things to come into our life. Sometimes they're easy and good, and sometimes they're rather difficult. But God is in control of all those different things. Then we looked about how He called Abraham, and Abraham was a pagan. I mean, he was like a polytheistic guy, did not even know there was a creator God, and God spoke to him. And the Bible says an amazing thing, which really speaks to us. He said that, that, that God counted Abraham righteous, not because he did good works, not because he deserved it, but because he believed God. And that's how we're saved. We are saved by believing in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, his sacrificial death, his righteousness applied to our lives. We become righteous because of him. And he became, amazingly, he became sin for us, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. How incredible. Then we, then we heard about David. And I love David because you know, David was a shepherd boy, and yet God made him the greatest king of Israel. An amazing thing. Again, not because of his talents or ability, but because he had a heart for God. He had a heart for God. Then we talked about Jesus and how the whole Passion Week scenario was lined out and ordained by and planned by a sovereign, wonderful God. Um, one of the places in the Bible says, Behold the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. God could look ahead and see that we would sin, and He made a way for us to be forgiven. And it's as if it already had happened, when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, as if it already happened because God said it was going to happen. And then we came to Peter. 
And we kind of bump Paul off the agenda because Peter, I think, is just so much like us. There's, there's not as many Pauls in the congregation today, but there's a lot of Peters. Peter was kind of rough around the edges. Um, Peter failed a lot. Uh, Peter was boisterous sometimes. Peter had a little bit of a pride problem. And, and I think we see ourselves when we see Peter. And I said, well, that's just really good. We're going to give it two weeks. And last week, we looked about how even... Now, watch, 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 watch. Even in our failures... God is sovereign. Because Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you need to know something. Satan has asked. I love that. Satan just can't pop you. You know, Satan had to ask. He's asked to sift you as wheat. But, but don't worry because Jesus said, I prayed for you. And when you are turned around, when you're converted, when you repent, I want you to strengthen your brethren. And sure enough, it happened. He went to the garden. There was a prayer meeting. And Peter was supposed to be praying, not necessarily for Christ, but for himself, that he would be strong. And Jesus came back and Peter was sleeping. And, and Jesus said, Peter, Peter, wake up. Couldn't you stay awake an hour? And then he says these words. He says, you know, be praying that you won't fall into temptation. Not, hey, not pray for me, but pray that you won't fall into temptation. He, because he said, he said, you know, the Spirit's willing. Isn't that true? I mean, we don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to see how bad I can sin today. The, the, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh indeed is weak. And sure enough. We left Peter last week. We found him in a courtyard, a dirty old courtyard. And he was there. And Jesus said, you're going to die me three times. And, and a girl, a little middle school girl said, hey, aren't you one of him? No, I'm not one, he would say. And then somebody else spoke up and said, aren't you one of those Jesus follower people? No, no, I'm not. And the last time when someone said, I just know you are because you're a Galilean. Galilean he said, no, 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 I'm not. And the Bible says he cursed. He cursed. And at that time, Jesus looked at him. And I showed you last week, I hope clearly, that it wasn't Jesus looking and go, how could you do that to me? This wonderful Savior who was fixing down the cross looks at Peter and says, Peter, I'm hurting with you. I'm hurting with you in this time. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And then we had a little glimmer of hope. Because when Jesus resurrected on Sunday morning, he, he told the girls, he said, Go tell my disciples and Peter. He had a special message for Peter. You know what that message was? Failure is not final. Hey, Peter, Peter, the end isn't the end. Just like it wasn't the end for me that I resurrected, so failure is not the end for you. And that's where we left him. We left him sitting there uh, and, and kind of, yeah, I want to believe. I'm not sure I believe and, and all of this. And then we come to John 21 which is probably one of the most powerful and I think wonderful scriptures uh, in the Word of God. And I tell you what, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see the sermon sheet. We, we can't make it all the way through. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it through verse number 14 today, 14, 15 today. And then Wednesday night, if you'll come back. I know some of y'all go, well, y'all have church on Wednesday night? Yeah, we do. And uh, we'll be there Wednesday night. And we kind of want to follow up. Uh, on the rest of this. So I, rather than go longer than, you know, you never preach longer than the bottoms can bear. And so we won't go that long today, but I really want you to grasp this wonderful truth because listen, it's us. Now, we all agree that Jesus, well, I will say Jesus, orchestrated this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit orchestrated this for redemption of man. Would all agree with that? Come on, back in the garden when we sinned, you know, God, again, before the foundation of the world was laid, but even in the garden, God made a promise that said, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, and He's coming. And all through the Old Testament and up to the New Testament, we see this portrayed. We see not the cross, 
but a Savior dying on the cross. God loved us so much, and Brent, you said this, God loved us so much, He orchestrated the cross. Now, I know we sometimes kind of have a hard time recognizing how intimately God wants to be involved in our lives. I mean, again, I know for a fact that President Obama does not know who I am. I'm sure President uh, Governor Quinn doesn't know who I am. I'm, I'm sure the, the mayor of Harrisburg knows who I am. And it's hard for us to imagine that, hey, hey, God, creator God of the universe, not only knows who I am, but wants to be intimately involved in my life. Look at me. But he does. He does. In fact, he orchestrates events just for you. You know, I, I preached about Paul and Silas in the jail. And I asked this question, and you would want to give it a negative answer. You know, they're sitting in jail, and an earthquake comes. And obviously, the purpose of the earthquake was not to let the people out because all of them stayed. And I said these words. Would God orchestrate an earthquake just so one man could be saved, the jailer? And somebody shook their head and said, no. I said, yes. Yes, he would. And he did. And he did. And John 21, it's a story of the restoration of Peter. And here's what I want to propose to you today. That as much as it's a story of the third appearance of Jesus Christ after his resurrection to his disciples, I believe this chapter 1, this event, was orchestrated by God, by Jesus, for the sole purpose of restoring Peter. And... I believe that John, led by the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of God himself, included it in the scriptures for us. I believe the event was orchestrated for Peter, and I believe it's recorded for us, because each one of us need what this chapter portrays. So it's, it's a few days, just a very few days after the resurrection. That's where we're at. And we see in John 21, the Bible says these words. After this, and, and again, after what? After this, after the victorious entry of Jesus where the palm sunnies, the palms are waving saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king. After that Thursday night when they observed the Passover, after that Thursday night when they instituted the Lord's Supper, after the Thursday night when Jesus goes to the garden and sweat drops of blood are poured out, and he, he says, if there's any way for this cut to pass for me, after, after Peter's denial, after the scourging, after... After the cross, after the resurrection, after this, after this huge passion week, the Bible says this. Jesus revealed, he showed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or by the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me pause real quick and look at that word Jesus revealed. Um, some translations will say Jesus appeared. The, the key part of this, it shows the reality of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, we have no proof that Jesus is the Son of God. If there is no resurrection, we have no hope for ourselves. So it's important that John felt compelled to make sure that we understood that this Jesus was not a ghost. This Jesus was not a spirit. He was bodily resurrected from the grave on the third day. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples the third time. We're going to learn verse number 14. He revealed himself in this way. And John says, this is how it happened. Verse 2. Simon, Peter, Thomas. And what was Thomas famous for? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas was there. Nathaniel, which we don't know a whole lot about, uh, from Cana of Galilee. Zebedee's sons, who were James and John. 
All right, they were there, the sons of thunder, and two others that we don't know, they got together. Now, this is seven of the 12 or seven of the 11 hanging around. All right, they're, they're, they're kind of hanging like we do sometimes. Really nothing significant going on. And then something happens. In verse 3, Peter says these words. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Now, let me pause again. I do not believe it's any accident that details are included in Scripture. I think we must be very, very careful never to form a doctrine based on my or, or, or very uh, detailed details. We must be careful we don't form a huge doctrine out of something that's just a detail mentioned. But I also believe this, that we have full right and we are biblically correct and learning lessons from the details that are provided. So hence, we have Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Now, there's probably several reasons why Peter went fishing. There's, there's probably the reason that he was like, you know, what do we do now? Hanging out. Um, there's possibility, like one commentary said, he needed to make a living for his family. He was a former fisherman, so maybe it was payday rolled around. There's no check coming in. So he said, you know, there's really nothing to do. I'm going fishing. I think there's a very real possibility. Again, not just know I'm not flying off the handle. The commentary said there's a very good possibility that Peter went fishing for another reason. Now, understand, he had repented of his sin. And we know for a fact that God had forgiven his sin, the sin being denial of Jesus. We understand that. But even when there is forgiveness and we turn from our sin, there's that angst that we have with us and God. There's an angst that we have with ourselves. One of the most difficult things we wrestle with is how do we forgive ourselves? And I am pretty certain I can say that Peter was wrestling with this failure. How could he ever be used of God again? How could, yes, yes, listen, how could God forgive me? Um, how can I ever forgive myself? You've said these words before. How could I have done that? You ever sinned before? You ever fall flat on your face and go, how did I do that? How did that happen in my life? Well, I think Peter is wrestling with this. And I think Peter is looking back to the past. Now, remember, a denial of Jesus is a turning back. When Peter said, I don't know him, I don't know him, in a way, Peter's turning back to his former life. And I honestly believe that Peter has a desire in his heart to turn back to something. And notice this. He turns back to something that he was previously successful at. And when we fail, we have a tendency to go back to a point in our lives when we were successful, or if you want to use that word, when we were happy. So Peter, I believe, is going back to something that he was happy at doing, um, successful at doing, something that he knew he could succeed at. So he says to them, I am going fishing. Now, the amazing part is this. And again, don't write these. If there's a sermon, y'all take some notes. This might be one of them. Because all of us have failed and all of us have a tendency to go back. I, I would not dismiss that detail at all. But notice something else. The Bible says, the men say, the other six guys, we're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat. Now, look at me. Mamas and daddies, men and women, students who are, these are all Christ followers, listen carefully. We all have, and I was amazed when these words came out of your mouth in Sunday school. We all have a sphere of influence. That was written on my sermon sheet. 
We were talking about Gideon and his sphere of influence and our sphere of influence. And here we are. Peter already is recognized, even in his failed state, he was a key leader in the, in the 11 and the 12. And so we see then a sphere of influence when Peter says, I'm going fishing. This group of seven, six or seven including him, six says, we'll go with you. You've got to understand something. Your failure and your actions impact other people. Daddy, your children watch you. And how you handle success and how you handle failure and you're, you're in relationship with God, your children are watching. And they will mimic you. I remember a certain two-year-old young boy who would take a cup of water and pour it into his mouth, walk over to the flowers and do this. I asked and said, what is he doing? And his dad was a chewer. True story. He was mimicking his father. Daddy, mama, students at school, people watch. And in our sphere of influence, we will impact what they do. If you then, in your relationship with God, live it loosely then people see that and will live or have a tendency to live the same way. So in this case, these six men who were hanging out, they've seen Jesus twice, but still, you understand, people know it's going to rise from the dead all the time. It's still, it's still fluid in their lives. Peter says, I'll go fishing. And they say, well, we'll just go with you. And they do. And guess what happens? Guess how many fish they catch? None. That would be the sum total of zero. Now again, Dwayne, you're being awful loose with Scripture. I don't think so. I do not believe it was an accident, nor just circumstance, that these men, and there's been speculation that, that, that Andrew and Philip perhaps were other fishermen that were with them. I mean, it's a group of fishermen. It's just no accident that they fish at night in good water and catch nothing. My point is this. One... I think God orchestrated the fact that there were no fish caught because he's got a big plan coming. Please listen to me. When you are going through life, do not dismiss circumstances and events or, or events happening in your life and circumstances in your life because God may be doing something big in your life. Keep your eyes open for the smallest details that God is orchestrating in your life. They went fishing and they caught nothing. Now, a side note is this. Again, my opinion. I believe also this. When you go back, when you leave God and go back to something you used to do, seeking success because you failed, you'll find it's very empty. Peter, turning back to fishing, seeks success and finds nothing. I know. When we are walking with Christ... And we fail or something happens, that angst happens, and we turn back. What you think was good will not be good. What you think was fun will not be fun. What you thought was fulfilling will not be fulfilling. And what you thought might be successful will not be. God won't allow it to be. Because God is in the purpose 
of restoration. This whole gig is about restoring a guy, not forgiving a guy, not causing a guy to repent, but for the purpose of restoring him and putting him on a path that God wants him to go. So they go and they catch nothing. By the way, do you remember another time when they caught nothing? Yeah. Verse 4. So when daybreak came, so they've been fishing at night, so the dawn is starting to happen. When daybreak came, Jesus still on the shore. And let me just say this. We don't know how long he was standing there, but I think it's really cool that while they were doing their thing, he was doing his thing. Because Jesus said, I promise to never leave you nor forsake you. And even when we're possibly not doing exactly what God wants to do, Jesus is not far away. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't say, I'm done, I'm away from you. He was there on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And don't read anything into that. It was dusk. I mean, it was either just getting daylight, there was distance involved. They just didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't know who it was. And so, verse 5, men, I was telling John Calger, I said, you know, in the King James, I think it translates it children. And and there's possible translation translates it lad. And those are good translations. Actually, men is not what the Greek words. He cries out and he says, hey, children, hey, hey, lads, have you caught anything? And let me read that from the Holman Christian Standard. Um, Men, Jesus called them, you don't have any fish, do you? You don't have any fish. Do you? And then, I don't know. I know I'm stretching it now. I confess. Because we don't know the inflection that Jesus used in his verse, his words. You don't have any fish, do you? I don't know which way he said, but he's asking a question. Do you have any fish? You fished all night. Do you have any fish? No, they answered. Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them. And you'll find some. Now, have you ever been, have you ever had flashbacks? Have you ever walked into, I thought now, I can tell you this for a fact. You could blindfold me and put me in a car and drive me to a place called Lamont, Missouri. And Lamont, Missouri, the church where I pastored, my first full-time pastorate, had, a, had a, a smell, an aroma. And you could blindfold me right now, uh, some 28 years later, Walk me in there and let me smell good. And I can tell you, I was at the Lamont Baptist Church. Because of the smell or the odor of the church, I would remember. Well, you know these men that are in this boat, they have a flashback. There was another time, early three years earlier, when, when Jesus said, hey, Simon Peter, let me borrow your boat. And Simon Peter says, okay. And they push off from the shore and he preaches a message. And now, and now Jesus says, hey, Simon Peter, cast on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some fish. And, and Peter didn't go, I fished all night. My nets are clean. I've already washed my nets. No way, Jesus. He does. And what happens? He catches a net full of fish. So much so, it took another boat to hold the fish. Now, you know they're having a flashback. They're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Deja vu, deja vu. This sounds familiar. This feels familiar. Have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Cast on the, uh, the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. And they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number. Now, you've got to get this. They have fished how long? All night. And caught nothing. A man that they're not sure who it is says, 
hey, and by the way, it's no accident that he orchestrated it to look like an earlier event. It helped him identify as Jesus. Cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch some. They do, and all of a sudden, the net can't hold them all. Well, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, they recognize who it is, or at least John does, and some of the others begin to. They recognize it was Jesus. Now, the cool part would be, now hear me, the cool part would be, as we journey with Jesus through life, as we look for the details that God orchestrates in our life, as we, let me use the right word, as we see his sovereignty being acted out in our lives, it helps us to recognize God here, God here, God here, and God here, and God here. And the moment you reach a point in your life where everywhere you look you see God, a couple things are going to happen. You're going to be closer to Him, and you're going to be tempted to fail less. Because everywhere you look, you see God. Unfortunately, in most of our lives, we think about God at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, or 10, 15 on Sunday morning, and, and that's probably the last time we think about Him. And it's no wonder that we're tempted to just fall into failure. So often. So, so this orchestrated event of the fish helps them recognize this is God. And I really want to encourage you as your pastor to look at the details in your life and recognize God is constantly working in your life. You don't have to have a piece of paper on the wall. You don't have a title in front of your name. If you are a Christ follower today, God is constantly working details in your life. Recognize them. It's incredible. It's incredible. Listen, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. It will totally impact how it is that you live. All right, so, so then the Bible says, John gets it first. Therefore, the disciple that Jesus, or the one who loved Jesus, that was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, once again, confirming the resurrection. Remember, the, the resurrection only happened a few days before. Guys don't get up from the dead. They'd seen him once. Peter had seen him twice. But all of a sudden, John says, it's him. It's him again. It was still fresh. It was new. We see Jesus, the resurrected Christ, again. How incredible. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, notice his priority shifts. The Bible says he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped, and this is not naked. He's probably down in some kind of working garb, and plunged into the sea. Time out. What was Peter's priority two hours before that? Fishing. When Peter recognizes Jesus, what happens to his priority? What fish? What fishing? When he recognizes Jesus again, his priority shifts. And once again, hear me please. If you'll learn to recognize the action of God, if you'll recognize the action of Christ, your priorities will change. All of a sudden, things that you count as important will not count important anymore. All we've got to do is train our spiritual eyes and our mind and our heart to look for the actions of God in our life. When we see Him everywhere, our priorities change. Try it and see. Try it and see. See if I'm speaking the truth today. Make a conscious effort this day. I don't care. If something happens, say, thank you, Lord. Or, Lord, I need help in this area. Look for Christ, look for God constantly in your life and see if your priorities don't change. See if your habits don't change. See if your lifestyle doesn't change. See if your language doesn't change. The more we look for and recognize God and operate in His sphere, sphere, then the more we're going to see God and it's going to change us. Our priorities are going to change. So He instantly plunges and I love it. He, he can't wait. We're going to fix and learn. He's a hundred yards off of shore. He can't wait. Isn't that cool? 
He hungered for Jesus. When he sees Jesus, a renewed hunger comes into, you know, we got to have one food illustration. After all, what would a Sunday at Dorsville be without a food illustration? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I was one, one of about 695 diets that I've been on in my life. And this one, David, it was successful. I mean, I'd lost like 40, 45 pounds. You know, everybody, you know, every, you know you've lost weight when people go, do you have leukemia? You know, you know what I'm talking about, dude? You know what I'm talking about? You, know, you get that, you know, that, that thing, you know, going on. And so, so what happened is, I had totally, get ready to be shocked. I totally done away with sweets. Totally, nothing, zero, zilch. Well, Grandma Vita, who's our adopted grandma, who really was like a mother to us, invites me over for lunch one day. I was painting in the basement, I think, of the church. She said, come down for lunch. And I came down for lunch, and she cooked a nice meal, and I ate my nice little portions, you know. It's really not what you eat, but how much you eat. And then she said these words, I have made you an apple pie. I hadn't had apple pie for like five months. And she, and she made it with a cinnamon sauce. You, you put the cinnamon sauce on it. And I'm telling you, your taste buds explode. They start, my taste buds started playing the hallelujah chorus. It was, it was totally incredible. So anyway, so I said, no, Grandma Vita, I don't want that. Dwayne Taylor, she, I'm serious now. Dwayne Taylor, you've lost too much weight. You look sick. You've got to eat. And so she put that piece of pie in, in front of me. And I, I took a bite of that pie. And it was like... It was, really was a rush. I mean, it was so incredibly good. Now, can you tell me what happened? That's it. Mary, you're exactly right. That one bite of pie revived all those taste buds and all that. And you're right. It was a downward spiral from there. I renewed... Watch, watch, what? I renewed a craving for sweets. When Peter hears John's words, it's the Lord. Something in him ate. He had a longing. His cravings were awoken. Is that awoken? Awoken. Awoken. They woke up. They woke up. Woke up and he had to be with Jesus. Now, do you see it? When you start seeing God in every, every aspect of your life, we you start seeing the plan of God, that God's working sovereignly in your life in the smallest details, and all of a sudden you see Jesus, you see God, something changes. And there's an, a longing, there's an aching in you to be with Him. An aching you may not have felt for a long time. You've done the church thing for a while, you've done the church gig for a while, but there's not that longing. Well, this, this awakened, this awoke, oh gosh, where's Becca here? Your last Sunday here, perhaps. There you go. My, my grammar teacher daughter is going, I can't believe he still can't get it right. All right? So he plunged into the sea. Now watch, 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 watch. Verse 8. But since they were not far from the land, about 100 yards, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of Fish. Okay, so Peter swims and they start rowing, dragging this huge, huge draught of fish. Now watch. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. So you got the picture. This is great. They now know. They they know it's Jesus. They have a, a, an atmosphere of friendship and fellowship. Over here is a charcoal fire with what on it? This is important. What's on it? Fish. And also some bread. So they have this incredible atmosphere. And then Jesus says, 
Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. My question is this. Why? Why? He had lunch meat. It wasn't that, hey, whoops, forgot the meat. You got something? Let me tell you what I believe with all my heart. And I don't think, again, I think it fits within the biblical scope this morning. When Jesus says, bring some of the fish, the Bible says, Peter said, so Peter got up, who? Of all people. Why was it Nathaniel? Why wasn't it James and John? They, they were the ones who drug the fish in. Why Peter? Because this whole event is orchestrated around this man named Peter for his restoration. The sovereignty of God is at work in this event. That's why it was Peter. And Peter goes and brings up the net and hauls it to the shore. Now, this is important. Some of you guys go fishing. When you go fishing, particularly, well, it doesn't matter if you're on the shore or in a boat. If you're in a boat and you catch a bass, you don't take the fish and throw it in the bottom of the boat in the hot sun, do you? What happens to the fish? It dies and it spoils. So what do you do? You do one of two things. You either have a stringer over the side of the boat in the water, or you have a live well and you open it up and put the fish in that. Here's the bottom line. Dead fish don't sail. So when Jesus says to Peter, or Peter gets up and says, bring the fish on shore, where were the fish already? They were still in the water in the net. Why? Because dead fish don't sail. You keep the fish alive. And when Jesus says, come bring some of the fish that you caught, Peter hauls it up on the shore. Now here's what I think. I think, again, it's a detail that we can claim for our circumstances in our lives. Those fish represented something. You know what they recommend or what they represent? A way back. 153 fish. And again, you can read all you want to in that. The commentary's got all kind of theories. But the bottom line is there were 153 large fish in this net. And you can buy a lot of stuff with 153 fish. And if Peter wanted to go back, if Peter wanted to go back into the fishing business, here was his chance. You want to know why they caught nothing? Because they need to see the miracle of Jesus. You know why Jesus gave them the miracle? Because he wanted to give Peter a choice. He didn't want Peter to follow Jesus the cause. He wanted Peter to follow Jesus because he was radically in love with Jesus. And I do believe he's saying, Peter, here's your choice. You've got 153 live fish here. Even if you split it six ways, dude, there's enough to buy new boats, new nets, even a Mercury outboard motor. All you need right there. Or you can follow me. The events of circumstances in our lives are not just circumstances. They're orchestrated by a sovereign God who has a purpose in them. I, again, I, I'm entitled to this. I got the microphone. I don't think I'm outside biblical, uh, the biblical way. I believe that this was a choice given to Peter. Peter could choose to keep the fish in the water and say, No, Jesus, if we bring the fish into the, on the shore, they'll die. Or he could bring them on shore. And Peter brought them onto the shore. Now, what about you? What about me? When these circumstances come in our lives... Are we willing to 
obey Christ. Even, even if it cost us something. Now, please hear me. This cost the guy something. When those fish get on shore, it's early in the morning. They're a long way. They're a long way from land. I mean, a long way from the market. Those fish are going to spoil. Are you willing to let the fish spoil to follow Jesus? Are you willing to let the fish spoil to follow Jesus? Good question. I wish I could just tell you how much God loves you today. I wish I could help you understand how much He's at work in our lives for the purpose of growing us to be more like Christ. Because I think the more we are like Christ, not to keep the rules, because that's nothing, but to be, when we're happier, we're, ah, when we're like Christ, we're happiest, spiritually happy, we're joyful. So Jesus says, bring those fish. And Peter got up and hauled them to the shore, full of large fish, 153. And even so, there were so many, the net was not torn. And then the fellowship. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. And none of the disciples dared ask who it was because they knew it was the Lord. How did they know it was the Lord? By his actions, by his character. See, that's what I say. You, you say, well, how do I recognize God? I believe when, when you're a Christ follower, you begin to recognize, you know it's God's actions. Because you've been around God, you know how God acts. You know, Jesus said, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. When you see the characteristics of Jesus, you know Jesus is there. So then, in verse 13, Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Who's serving? Jesus. When was another time Jesus served? That's supper, Mary. That's right. Jesus serving. When's the last time they saw fish and bread like this? 5,000 men were fed. We see the attitude of service of Jesus, but we see the power of Jesus. We see, once again, an example. In fact, come Wednesday night, and you're going to hear Jesus say, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, serve people. And that's what, again, that's what August 12th is, August 10th is all about. Serving people. Jesus is a servant. We're to be a servant. How do we serve? In the power of God. When we see the fish and the bread, we, you know, we see the service of God, but we see the power of God. And that's what Jesus is going, in case you don't make it back Wednesday night, that's what Jesus is going to call Peter to. A life of service. Wait a minute. Ryan, didn't I just say he was a failure? He denied Jesus, for goodness sake. Isn't that right? Remember that man, The, the Rock? The musical we went to, wasn't it good? Guys, failure isn't final. And, and by the way, in case you're sitting there going, Dwayne, I don't know what you're talking about, but... I'm not planning on having an affair. I'm not planning on embezzling $10,000 from the bank. You're missing the point. It doesn't have to be an affair. It doesn't have to be embezzling $10,000 from the bank. I'm talking about that. I'm really talking about our day-to-day walk. When we constantly make choices to obey 
or not to obey, to follow or not to follow. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do tomorrow when you're at work and all of a sudden you hear the sound of fish flapping on the shore? Are you going to choose to say, Jesus, thanks for the breakfast, thanks for the fellowship, but we've got to get these fish to market? It's been nice talking with you. Are you going to say, who cares about the fish? I want to follow him. What will you do? What will we do? Now, the fish were significant. Please don't hear me saying the fish were not significant. They were. I mean, there's a chunk of money laying on the beach there. But when you compare that to a fellowship, well, not a fellowship with Christ, what's fish? What's fish? What's a promotion if it costs you your family? What's a title if it infringes upon your relationship and fellowship with Christ? What's popularity, students, if it costs you your character and your integrity? And your witness as a Christian. I don't know what the fish were worth, but they weren't worth that. And our lives is true also. Peter, bring some of the fish. He gets up and brings them to the shore. Mary, Sue, John, Bring the fish. Bring me some of the fish. Are you willing to let them spoil on the shore? Would you bow your heads, please? I'm acutely aware of a chunk of this message is going to have to be finished Wednesday night. The real restoration part takes place in the last part of this chapter. So you might say, well, Dwayne, what is the bottom line? What are you trying to drive home today? That there is an incredible God and you are a Christ follower. And that incredible God is sovereign. And he is orchestrating events in your life for a very distinct purpose. And that purpose is to bring you in a closer and deeper relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And he will orchestrate details in that for the express purpose of bringing you to a point of crisis of belief. Of choice. To let it go or to hang on to it. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll love the one or hate the other. And so it is. So my bottom line is, is that as we journey this week outside this building, as Christ followers, are we willing to look for Christ in the details of our life? And are we willing to follow where he leads? God, thank you for your incredible, incredible word. And I'm so glad it is a book of details. Thank you, God, for that. I believe with all my heart that you spoke right into the heart of John and said, John, write these things down for our edification today. Father, I pray first. I know either on the Internet or through the radio or even in this room, there are some folks here 
who know about Jesus, who know details about Jesus, but they never reach the point of understanding and receiving the great gift of your grace and the forgiveness that was won for us with Jesus Christ on the cross. I want to pray, Father, for them that that they would come to a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. But for my brothers and sisters and for me, thank you, God. Let me say it again. Thank you, God, that you're in the details of our life. Thank you, you care enough to be in the details of our life. May we wise enough to view your sovereignty as you work to bring us closer to you. And yes, even in our failures, not just to forgive after we repent, but to fully restore us and use us for your honor and for your glory. So for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray, Father, wisdom. I pray, Father, for application in their lives as we look for you in the details of life. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.